there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore and the fiction of the Legend of Zira. The Legend of Zira. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda series of video game products. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Last we left off, the amnesiac hero of Hyrule, Link Knightson, had just left Kakariko Village after speaking to the wise sage Impa. If Link's name was Knightson, I guess he would be recruited by by Bolson and Co. For what? I don't know. To, like, run off monsters? As an ambassador, clearly. He's doing the work. I guess. That's why he's not getting paid for it. But we'll get to Bolson and Co. later, I guess. Yeah. They are their own significant subplot. We're leaving Kakariko, and is this when Impa warns you about the Yiga? Um, yes, it is. There's several things that happen in rapid succession on your way out of Kakariko Village. I don't know if it's Impa who warns you, but somebody in the village does. Probably Dorian. If you take the exit that is above the village, you probably will pass by the Great Fairy Fountain on your way out. And then you meet the Great Fairy again, so that's a good thing to do, meeting the Great Fairy. Great Fairies are fun in this game. I like them. They're extravagant. I don't agree with a painter that... It looks tacky. No, no, it's just according to a very different aesthetic style. But his sense of aesthetics is very particular, too, if you watch him make his paintings. He's not a good artist. No, he's not. But what do good artists like to do more? Sorry, who enjoys critiquing other people's style more than good artists? Bad artists. Ooh. People online who define themselves by the media they consume. I think those are bad artists. I mean, they might just be bad everything. (laughs) You can describe them as anything and then append bad to the front of it. Well, to be an artist, you have to make art. Yeah, you have to create. They're trying to wordsmith a perfect critique. They're bad fans, bad allies sometimes, bad all sorts of things. Do we have anything to say about Kotera? Um... Kotera is the result of whichever character designer it is who likes big women finally being allowed to really flex. Yeah? Yeah. I forget. I think there's an art of the Great Fairies in the art book. Mm-hmm. And the bottom part are, is kind of like a mermaid. Huh. I it was ha- either a mermaid or just like a sharp cutoff. Yeah, I think that's just the rendering thing. You don't. I, I don't think they actually render their legs. Hmm. But I, I can't think of the image that you're referring to here. I left my phone in the other room. Oh, I mean, you can go get it if you want. I can... No, it's okay. Crystal, do you have any particular thoughts about the great fairies as portrayed in this game? I like the great fairy designs. You are right that it is one of several examples in this video game where someone was just allowed to insert their their particular sexual tastes into the video game. <laughs> Yeah. Because the fairies are just really large women who, when you pay them enough tribute, they grab you and hug you and uh, drown you. Normally that would cost a lot, but here we are. (laughs) Do you think they were worshipped in the old days? It definitely seems to be the case that they were treated as gods. Do you think they gave, like, armor upgrades to everybody? I can't see why they wouldn't. I mean... 
We don't know how old the Great Fairies are, but they've always existed throughout the history of Hyrule, and anyone who comes to them tends to receive their blessing, unless you think that it's just the hero who is given protection by these forces, even though everyone makes sacrifices to these nature gods. Surely they get something out of it. Do you think Link is extracting the surplus benefit of tribute that the people give, give to the fairy fountains? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think that people who find the fairy fountains in days past before the offerings were no longer made probably were given protection. The fairy fountains were also pretty destitute by the time Link gets to them in Breath of the Wild. They still look pretty fancy. No, I mean, they have. She, he has to jumpstart them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have lost almost all their power and sort of closed up into flowers. How exactly do fairies fit into Hyrule's cosmology? They're really big fairies. Are they spirits of good? No, I don't think so. What's a fairy? Uh, I think spirits of good, I think, can be understood as being, if not otherworldly, then I guess I would describe them as celestial. Mm, This is stuff that's based on nothing in particular, so you'll have to forgive me for going off in directions for a second. But I think of the spirits of good, inclusive of Hylia, as being celestial beings who are not born necessarily of the world itself, whereas other very powerful spirits, nature spirits like the Deku Tree or the Great Fairies or fairies in general, are actually born of the natural world. Hmm. The spirits of good are above the world. No, I wouldn't say above, though I would say separate. From the outer world. The world can still reach up and grab hold of a spirit of good. So, no, I would not say that they're above. I mean literally above, as in they live in the heavens. (laughs) Oh, geographically above. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess. In a distant nebula. But if... mm, but if, we, if we're talking about gods, I think that it can be dangerous to refer to one set of gods as being above another, because some of the earth gods can do more against demonic forces than the spirits of good are shown to be able to do. Certainly. We never see the demons or any sort of bad force interfere against the fairies aside from Majora. Yeah, basically. Well, we get a little bit of that in Wind Waker, don't we? When the giant Octoroks, like, eat the great fairies. Oh, that's... Yeah, I guess so. And those are definitely Ganon's creatures. But they get through it. I I don't think... The great fairies don't seem like they would, other than Hyrule warriors, actively mobilize against the forces of evil. No. But they're also a lot harder to kill than gods are. You can shatter a great fairy into a dozen pieces and it can put itself back together, but Ganondorf kills gods pretty regularly, and they don't come back from it. Majora is not necessarily at its greatest power at that point. It still physically shatters the great fairies, though. Yeah. They in pieces. So we meet the great fairy. At this point, we just get like the little, she blows a kiss at you. It's like, there you go. Now you're stronger. What else happens when you leave Kakariko? You meet your first unnamed traveler on the side of the road. Surprise, they're Yiga, and they're here to kill you. Actually, uh, this first one's interesting because they have a very unique dialogue, I think. 
uh, the first one that you stop and talk to, no matter where they are, but it's very possibly this one. And I could be completely wrong about this. And if I am, correct me, listeners. But this first one that you talk to, I think, describes a strange experience that they had. And at first, it sounds like they might be describing an alien abduction that they go through, like they wake up underneath a bright light. But then they go into more detail that they were lying in a pool of blue liquid and that they were without their memories. Mm -hmm. And Link, during all of this, like, at first he's kind of curious about what they're saying, but then almost all of his responses are just ellipses as he gets exactly what's happening here. And as they reach the end of the story, the traveler turns to Link and says, Does that sound familiar to you, hero? Da-da-da. And then out come the knives and the fight starts. And it's really cool. Also, how did the Yiga know all that shit? I guess that they would have some knowledge of Sheikah technology. There must be some sort of a Yiga prophet or fortune teller. You don't think that maybe they just have knowledge of Sheikah technology? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, they're clearly not still making it, but they probably have documentation about what some of it did. That's a weird way to really point out their knowledge, though. Yeah, but it's still kind of cool. I like it. It's a cool conversation that's pretty... It was unsettling to me the first time I had it. Yes. And then you fight them and you beat their ass. Remember, this happens over and over again. Yeah, you throughout the course of the game, you will occasionally run into travelers. And if they're not moving along a set path and they're just kind of standing there and staring at you and waiting for you to talk to them, just ride on by. It's fine. You ain't got to talk to them. And if you talk to someone and instead of a name, they have question marks, you done fucked up and you about to have a fight. Crystal, who's your favorite Yiga in disguise? Oh, no. My favorite Yiga in disguise. I don't think I have one. Monica does. Yes. And I think I know exactly which one it is. Which one? I'm going to guess Banana Man. Yes. Okay. I've got a. I've got a different one. <laughs> you you meet a merchant, and he he's one of the ones that looks like um. I don't know, right? Uh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wants to sell you bananas. And they are 99 yeah. rupees each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're expensive as shit. But if you meet him late game, then you can buy out all of his bananas. Because Monica walks around with like 20,000 rupees at any given time. <laughs> she can buy 10k worth of bananas just to see what happens. Yes. Well, they're very impressed by your love of bananas. Like, wow, that's amazing. I feel really bad that I still have to kill you. Yeah. But yes, it's a Yiga. Surprise. Surprise. And if you refuse the bananas, he's like, you hate bananas? You must die. I think that my favorite um, Yiga in disguise, and the Yiga are interesting because when they uh, are in their combat garb, they don't have any real gender markers. But when they're walking around just as travelers, they can, they are men or women. Mm-hmm. But when there's a particular one that I really like is this woman on the side of the road, and she's not even trying to hide that she's Yiga, really. Um because when you talk to her, she's like, ha, ah, and you're like, what are you thinking about? And she's like, oh, I'm just thinking about how cool Master Koga is. And you're like, Master Koga? And she's like, yeah, he's so cool and confident and has such a well-defined regal paunch. And one of the things that Link can say at this point is he has a dumb belly. <laughs> and she's like, a, du- a dumb belly? And then she tries to kill you for insulting Master Koga. And that's my favorite one of those. That's, That's more liking. <laughs> so mean. Link. Well, he has. He, yeah. Well, 
That's more like liking Link's response. Yeah. Well, no, I like her too, because she's just over there fangirling over her cult leader. And yeah, Link's being mean about it. But I don't know if he's being, like, is he being a sh- We know that Link's a shit. He's a shit a bunch of times over the course of this game. But I wonder if that's an opinion that he actually holds, or if it's just, like, something that he says to be cruel on its own just to upset her. I don't I, think Link has an opinion on Master Koga. Yeah, because you can definitely say this before you ever meet Koga. He's probably just tired of all these Yiga popping up and disrupting his attempt to, you know, ride a deer. It's 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 funny, though, because all of these conversations sound very different after uh, you actually confront Koga. Like, that conversation right there is, like, in memoriam of him. And Link is like, yeah, he was stupid. And she's like, <gasps> Anyway, the Yiga are kind of great for just being a bunch of assassins who pop up at random and try to kill you. But I don't think that they pop up randomly in the field at this point in the story yet. You can only meet them in disguise as travelers. And I think that the place that we're going right now is getting the first memory which is at the eastern gate of Lanayru Road. You can't get the memory yet. You can't? We haven't unlocked the camera yet. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, you wouldn't even want to go this way. You. Oh, yeah, okay, so you Turn back around. Have to go, you gotta go back. We gotta head back to Hateno Village. This part of the game is only, almost entirely Sheikah dealings. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like the, you know, the fifth species. They're kind of li- laying out the firmament for the understanding of the setting that Link moves through, like, everything that he gains to understand the setting through and that we gain in order to interact with the setting is from the Sheikah. There's some kind of theming going on there, but they don't lean hard enough into it for me to say exactly what it is. I wish they had gone a little bit deeper into Sheikah culture. What would you have liked to see? Um, I would like to see how they developed from what we saw of them before to what they were 10,000 years ago from what they are now. Like, we kind of know that, but only broad strokes. So you want to see how they went from these magical robot-creating super people to being this hidden shinobi village in the mountains. Yeah. And maybe how they relate to the old technology. And how they... I want to know about their religion. Well, I mean, there's statues of Hylia everywhere with the red bib and everything. But how do they relate to Hylia versus how do Hylians relate to Hylia? Uh, yeah, it would be pretty cool if they went into that a bit more. Pretty much the only, like, hints that we get at it are strictly environmental. All the different offerings that they make at different statues of Hylia, they seem to be... This is kind of a running theme throughout the game where we get like the roughest outline of what the religion of a given people is like, but we don't get any of the finer details. Well, okay, here's the thing. The Sheikah are the servants of Hylia. Yeah. And the Hylians are the people of Hylia. Yeah. So that seems like a strange relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose in your religion, you clearly have it defined that you're there to serve, if not all of Hylia's people, which is possible, then at least, you know, this set of, this group with her bloodline. The blood of Hylia. Yeah. And in the past, the Sheikah seemed to be 
very, very small, but now they're a whole big civilization. Yeah. They're, they have ebbs and flows. They're a distinct, separate ethnicity that seems to be a self-sustaining population. That is as as populous as Hillians, if not more at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that the Yiga went like, no, screw that. <laughs> screw Hylia. Yeah. We're going to forge our own destiny by worshipping Ganon. By but... worshipping Ganon. Yeah, that part. Not so much, but, you know, it takes some guts to, you know, leave your god. You know, Satanism would be real different if Satan showed up every once in a while and just wrecked things. Yeah, well, if Satanism was the worship of actual Satan. Okay, yeah, granted. Which one am I thinking of? Because devil worship's not real. Right. I don't know. What's the thing that happened 10,000 years ago in the real world? I don't think that our recorded history goes that far back. Agriculture? Yeah, agriculture. For some parts of the world. Agri- uh, hmm. Beer? Let's like, pull up that Wikipedia page. What if, exactly 10,000 years ago. there was a group ago. today that was like, we split off. We're mad at what a fucking Sumerian king did to our ancestors. And we're still mad about it. Yep. Um, the Wikipedia's big thing for 10,000 years ago was the Quaternary Extinction Event, uh, which has been ongoing since the mid-Pleistocene. Mostly involves many of the Ice Age megafauna going extinct, like woolly rhinoceroses and saber-toothed tigers and whatnot. Yeah, my it- tribe is still mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the our post- whole identity. Uh, yeah. The post-glacial sea level... Rise decelerates, and in northern Mesopotamia, now northern Iraq, cultivation of barley and wheat begins. Crystal, it sounds like you think that 10,000 years is a very long time to hold a grudge. It's a really... Okay. It's it's fine for that to be the initial split, but I feel like over 10,000 years they might have developed some other characteristics besides being mad about it, about the time they got exiled. <laughs> And and being big on Ganon. Yeah. You'd think in 10,000 years, eventually they would have had, like, a council where everybody got together and said, like, Ganon? We're, we're going with Ganon, though. <laughs> but no, th- this is still what they are. In some ways, the 10,000 years ago feels like a century. In some yes. ways. In some, like, with the Yiga, it feels like a century. At, like, four or five generations back. But, like, that's an interesting thing to say because the actual handling of a hundred years passing in Breath of the Wild feels like a hundred years passing, which is completely separate from how the rest of the entire franchise handles theoretical centuries. How about a thousand years? A thousand is... A long time to hold a fucking grudge. Yeah, but, but grudges have lasted that long. You know how long the English language has been around, Monica? Yes. Not that long. It ain't a thousand years old, I think. Um, not our current understanding of English. Yeah. Talking post Chaucer. Okay, so we are going to Hateno. Back to the through the Blatchery Plains, past all the scary dead guardians that some of them are still half alive because Link didn't finish killing them completely, I guess. Um Through through Fort Hateno. Which has big holes in the wall that guardians were trying to get through at the time that they were killed. Oh, that must have been a crazy fucking fight. You meet a couple of people who tell you the history of the entire 
Blatchery Plains and how wild it must have been to live in the age of heroes. I don't think that um, he's there right now. Actually, he might be, but we might as well discuss. There's a, a silly little side quest um, with Cass on the way to Hateno. Yeah, I think this might be the place where most people first meet him. Really? I could be wrong. There's a, a hero's cache, and Cass has a story of a legend that... Wait, he, seriously? This is where that is? It's, like, I, I sort it, of on the side. I thought it was over near Luralin. Plot map, I don't know. I'm... I we'll, could, just, we'll just go with I what could have saying. really gone on a huge tangent. I was looking at the map from a distance. We'll just go with what you're talking about. Okay. Because this is out at the sea. Yes. There's a, a legend that the hero from 10,000 years ago stored his cache of treasure um, in the sea. And Cass cannot piece together the riddle, but tells you that part of the song says that one day, the hero says, I'll return to fight evil. And therefore, my treasure's at puzzle, which is actually a clock. Yeah. And Link solves the puzzle and gets out the treasure chest, which has 300 rupees in it. And that's the treasure. That's the whole treasure. Now, for our listeners, there are some games in which 300 rupees isn't just a lot. It's the most you can hold. In Breath of the Wild, I think you max out at about 100,000. So did an inflation occur in Hyrule? Yes. <laughs> See, that 300 to 100,000 is quite the inflation. It's a jump. It's 10,000 years, though. But, I mean, you can buy a house for 3,000 rupees in Breath of the Wild, so inflation may actually not be that intense. It's just that Link carries around a lot of money. He's got big pockets. (laughs) Big pockets. But that puzzle, and we'll talk about who Cass is in a minute, but that puzzle is on the sea, which is on the opposite side of Hateno Village, actually behind the village. So we mm. haven't, we can't get that until we've reached Hateno. Okay. I assume. We'd know more if you had the map open. No. Nah. No? No. You're no. not going to trust Monica, who took a look at the map? No, a I week do trust ago. you. Okay. I do trust you. This is the sea down behind Hateno Village. I, I thought I was checking for things on the way there. I thought that the windy one, hold on. This is as far as Cam trusts me. <laughs> okay, it's kind of behind Hateno. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's down to the side. The path leading to it is actually behind the laboratory. It's not as far as Luralin, though. No, it's not. It's a pretty uneventful trip. Yeah, you run into maybe a couple of Henoxes. Uh, you get attacked by bacoblins that are carrying mops for some reason. I guess they robbed a janitor. And eventually you make your way to Hiteno Village, which is far enough east of Hyrule proper that it was not badly affected by the Calamity a hundred years ago. No guardians ever made it out this far because they were stopped at Hateno Fortress by Link and Zelda. This is the windmill place. This is the windmill place. This is this game's version of Kakariko Village from the old games, if you will. Not in the sense that it's where the Sheikah live, but in the sense that this is town where you go to to chill out and have lots of side quests. There's actually reason to believe that Link lived here a hundred years ago. Yeah. Crystal, do you subscribe to that theory? Oh yes, this is absolutely his house, as (laughs) evidenced by the dialogue they have about it. For our listeners' information, in case you're not familiar, there is a 
there's sort of an architectural revolution going on in Hateno Village, and that there is a particular architect, Bolson, who is designing what you might think of as... Ikea houses. Not the phrasing I would have used, but yeah, they're basically Ikea houses. They're very modern. They're uh, modular. Modular. They're easy to build, uh, easy to expand with, uh, very cutting edge in the context of Hyrule, and they're completely different from the aesthetics of the entire rest of Hateno Village, which has the standard pseudo-European look that a lot of Hyrule Villages have. They're like Sears mail-order houses. That's why they're so affordable. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Although those were pretty good quality too, right? Yeah, they were. They were usually higher standard of lumber because they had to go through the mail. That's interesting. I didn't know that. They're also one of the only ways for African Americans to buy houses because Sears didn't know what you look like. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting history. That's really heavy. Yeah. So Bolson. Um. So. Bolson has this little section of the village that he's using to build up these houses, basically to show them off and to sell them to people who might be interested in them. But he hasn't got a lot of buyers at this point. Um, and there's one particular house that nobody in the village can agree what to do with. It has stood abandoned since the calamity. The person who used to live here never returned from Hyrule Castle. I don't know if that very last bit is actually in the dialogue, but I do know that it has stood abandoned for a hundred years and that it used to be owned by someone. And the way that Zelda games play with their subtext, someone is undoubtedly someone that we knew. Well, and the villagers have only recently decided that it should be demolished. Yes, they had a conversation about it. They were kind of leaving it standing. Nobody can really remember why, though. That's really cool. It is cool. Nobody can remember why they did it. And once they allowed themselves to forget, they said, all right, I guess it's time to knock it down. And they just say to Bolson, fine, knock it down. You can use the space for whatever you like. And that's when Link shows up. And Bolson is like, what do you, th Bolson's like, we're going to knock down this house. And Link is like, what if, what if I want that house? Now, there's no real reason that Link would have a particular inclination towards wanting this house. Mm -hmm. But he does. Link absolutely wants this house. And Bolson says, okay, uh, I tell you what, if you want the house, just to prove that you actually want it, bring me 3,000 rupees and we'll say 50 bundles of wood. The 3,000 is to buy the house. The 50 bundles is, of wood is just to show your dedication to ownership. So you bomb a lot of trees. <laughs> 3,000 rupees at this point in the adventure is actually quite a lot. Because the quality of loot dropped by monsters and the quality of gemstones that you pick up increases over the course of the game. Before your first divine beast, in order to have enough money to buy this house, you would pretty much need to be doing either a lot of hunting or fighting a lot of guardians. Good thing there's a side quest around here where you can just hunt for meat. Yeah, though that's not very lucrative as far as these things go. But you're right, I did actually use that quest my first time through to build up the 3,000 rupees. So Link buys the house. Do you think Link is from this village, or did he move here earlier in his life? I think that probably Link's family is from this village, and it's not necessarily Link's house. He's a little bit young for it to have been his house for years. I think it might be his father and mother's house. Well, let me ask you this then. Is this Ordona? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I Ordona wasn't near the sea. 
that we're aware of. That we're aware of. Geography in high uh, we, No, okay, you're right, or you're right. Science. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought up the geography. <laughs> the, what the makes you think it's because Fort Hateno kind of feels like a, like a border fort, but then they conquered what was beyond it. Or, are you suggesting that Hyrule forcibly annexed Ordona? We basically see that in Twilight Princess. Do we, though? I don't think we do. Not by force, but, you know, through economics. Aren't Ardonans, like, settlers from Hyrule? Or at least, like, the village was founded by people from Hyrule? The impression I got is they they were independent, and then they started paying tribute to Hyrule. Oh, by making swords and stuff. Yeah. It's hard to say which way, and... It's similar to Fort Hateno. You don't really know. I guess the fort is pointing towards the castle now, but in the past it may have functions towards the other direction. Those castles have been in lots of places. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. The fort works both ways. Yes. It's a stronghold, but, you know, towards which direction? It also and how co- long ago? It also could have been 10,000 years ago, just used as a choke point to keep Ganon's forces from moving throughout Hyrule too easily. Yeah, that too. Like, the way that your defenses would be built in a country that worries a lot more about monsters popping up out of the ground than invasions from enemy nations would look very strange to us. The Japanese name for the fort is Hateno Toridae. Which is a pun on Hate no Torite, meaning forts at the end. And yet there's something beyond. That's cool. That's interesting. What do you make of that, Crystal? At the end of Hyrule's border. Oh, yeah, I forgot you had already basically said what you made of that. Hateno <laughs> is nice. So, um, do you, do you, does that mean that you think that... Because we've kind of established in the first episode that we think that Link is descended from the um, Zonai... Yes. So do you think that the Zonai ended up moving into Ordona? Well, the Zonai went away quite a while ago, didn't they? They were wiped out by Ganon in the 10,000 years ago ceiling. Yeah, plenty of time for the Zonai descendants to gentrify Hateno. (laughs) I see. It's a more livable area than the jungle. More farmable. Yeah, there's not many monkeys in Hateno. I don't think that it's Ordona, no. I think that it's so far removed from Ordona in terms of time and people that it might as well be a different place, even if it occupies the same spot geographically, which I'm not convinced of. It's like saying, is this Pangea? Yeah, kinda. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a relevant question. Right. I I like the thought that it is Link's hometown, and it makes sense with Link always being, maybe not a country bumpkin, but... You know, an outsider. Yes, he's not from the cent- he's not from central Hyrule. Yes, or it could just be that his parents wanted a place to get away to. Yeah, though so, you know, whatever he's getting paid as a head knight or whatever could probably allow him to afford a nice house somewhere in Hyrule Castle Town. Yeah, I'm sure that they actually like Link's parents were probably in Hyrule Castle Town when the calamity struck. If Link had his parents alive at the time yeah assuming that that was a thing zelda didn't talk about link's father as if he was dead though she didn't really place him in any sort of living or dead but i'm saying like you zelda games have a tendency to either illustrate through absence or through conversation 
that a person is dead. Well, there's no living mothers, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But usually they're, like, at least referenced as being dead. Like, we know what happened to Link's mom in Ocarina of Time because the Deku Tree tells us that she's, like, the first and most prominent of the dead moms. I guess. Anyway, Link buys the house, and he can pay Bolson more money to make the house nicer. He does things like get a kitchen built, an upper loft with a nice bed. He can get some landscaping done. Uh, a sign. Get a sign made so it says Link's house. Have some, uh, oh, what do you call them where you put up the weapons? Wall hanging things. Yeah, just weapon hanging thingies. And you can put up three weapons, three shields, and three bows, which is good because that's what you'll need to hang up all the champion stuff and a few other nice, unique items later on in the game. But it does debuff them. Debuff them? It takes off some of their nice attributes. You mean anything that you hang? Yeah. Well, champion's weapons don't have any buffs in the first place, so that's fine. True. Anyway, after Link finishes building the house and investing just gobs and gobs of money into getting it into a nice livable place... Bolson chills out and he's like, all right, I guess I'm done in this village for a little while, so I'm just going to relax. And what's the name of his assistant? Hudson. Hudson. Hudson's assistant. Uh, Hudson of the Bolson Corporation decides to head to the Akala region to start up his own town. A company town, if you will, funded by the Bolson Corporation. And this is easily one of the absolute weirdest things in Breath of the Wild. Because Hudson leaves Hateno specifically to found a corporate town. And I don't know how to process that because nothing else in the series looks even a little bit like it. It's a private-public partnership. It's a... It's a <laughs> Triple P. What were you saying, Crystal? Is that is that a line in the game? Private-public partnership? No. No, I think that's Monica flexing a little bit. Doing her weird flex. Yeah, How how is this community organized like socioeconomically um it seems like both uh, are we talking about tarrytown now yeah okay. okay we'll talk about tarrytown for just a second and then talk about it more once we actually go to akala well clearly the town bolson is building the house sorry hudson is building the houses there and if you are hired on by the company then you get you know room and board as part of your your pay. Right. But then there are also people who are who don't work for the company um, and they just, you know, move and settle in. Yeah, they, they buy pay, houses. They buy the houses. There's that extravagantly rich guy. There's the old people looking to retire. Yeah. It's a nice place. It's a bunch of different families and non-families who move in together. In fact, Robbie's son ends up moving here. But we'll get to all that a little bit later. I guess that the Bolson Corporation owns the land and that they build on it and then sell the land off in parcels to the people who move there. Land ownership. I mean, how do you even... Land ownership <laughs> in Hyrule is so weird. I, I don't think anyone was owning the land. Okay, so this you're suggesting... They just, so, so they just built the houses yeah. on some land and sold the houses. Right. They made it a, a nice, economically viable place to live. Oh, okay. With a shop. And... So you're saying they did not build a corporate town they just founded a town yeah i mean presumably the monarchy of hyrule was enforcing property rights before do we but, think that but i mean certainly now they wouldn't because they around you we don't know do you think the king just owns everything i don't think that we know what property 
rights look like in Hyrule in any capacity. Like, there's there's land ownership, or there's at least house ownership. Yeah, there's house ownership, or at least there seems to be, but we don't know if land ownership is a thing. Mm. Like, it could be that each community just, like, part, like, it could be that everything is owned cooperatively by a given community. Or it could all be held by the crown, but you're granted, you know, the rights to build on it. Well, being granted rights by the crown doesn't mean a lot post-calamity, like right. Crystal was saying. Yes. I mean, when Zelda restores the monarchy, what's what's going to happen vis-a-vis property rights? I think that Zelda's going to be a very radical monarch. <laughs> also, there's a lot of land and not that many people, so population issues isn't going to be... I think that probably... Uh, encouraging people to settle and build especially around hyrule castle town yeah. is going to be one of the major political focuses of the kingdom for many years i've often thought of like a post breath of the wild fanfic but the sheer size of trying to figure out how to get people back into hyrule castle town just makes me collapse into like you'd have to use the stables because those are the only means by which people can have information spread yes but like is Hyrule Castle Town even like an economically viable place to really build anymore? It could be. People have been avoiding that area and building like away from it for a hundred years. It's full of treasure. True, but it's full of junk and like guck. Yeah, okay. One, they do get rid of all the goop when Ganon disappears. True. Um two, if your queen is a techno whiz and she's surrounded by all these dead guardians. Some shit's going to be going on that could be making for some interesting living. Is Zora's domain a client state of Hyrule, or did, do they have full sovereignty? Okay, we gotta talk about Zora's <laughs> domain, but let's get to Zora's domain before okay. we do that. Um, uh, the, the, the question of the relationship between the different sovereigns of Hyrule has fucked with us since Ocarina of Time, and it it, it ain't stopped yet. Yeah. Um. There's an ancient statue here in Hateno Village, and it's got a demon in it. We talked about that demon a little bit. It's the oldest thing here by far. The oldest thing in this game. Predating the Great Calamity. Predating Ganon itself. Yeah. Fucked up how old it is. I guess it Hylia talks to you, so it's not necessarily the oldest thing. Yeah, but Hylia ain't done showed up in a lot. It's the oldest thing you actually see with your eyes. Okay. You think Hylia can't steal a demon from her statues? I think it's heavily implied that this was a bad fucking demon. Like, it's the kind of demon that, without your consent, can just steal one of your heart containers. I like how it's mostly chilled out, though. Uh, Yeah. Staring at nothing for 10,000 years gives you time to realize you've been a bit of a dick. And getting pooped on by birds. Yeah, getting shot upon by all these seagulls. I guess solitary confinement works. <laughs> if you're an Is... Im- immortal demon who has no like concept of suffering. That's the position of this game. <laughs> Crystal, are you anti-sealing demons? Just kill them. What if you can't? What if oh, they geez. turn better? Are you suggesting... That, okay, look, getting into comparing what you do with immortal god demons when compared to humans is really dangerous because then it's like, well, doesn't the death penalty make sense in this context? But no, the death penalty is very bad is the position of the Book of Medora podcast. I feel 
confident declaring unilaterally. See, we there was a parallel discussion happening elsewhere vis-a-vis the Joker, and people are like, "Well, Ugh. the the problem with Batman killing the Joker is that the Joker would just escape from hell." So actually, and obviously the Joker can escape from prison also easily. So actually, the best way to subdue the Joker would be to beat him up until he goes into a coma, but keep him alive so he won't go to hell and escape as a ghost. What? Where was this? (laughs) Elsewhere. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if I like this elsewhere very much. But it's like, Crystal, you say that... Perhaps just killing a demon is a better solution than imprisoning them for however long. Uh-huh. Okay, apply it to Ganon now. Well, the problem with Ganon is the Triforce will resurrect him. Ganon just returns. Like the Joker. The Joker... Why would the Joker come back from hell, though? That doesn't make any sense. That's a thing that happens in DC Comics. Is it? Yeah, there's demons. John Constantine... I'm familiar with a couple of them. I know what with the Rhymers and the ones what rank beneath the Rhymers. And I'm familiar with fucking Trigon, Etrigan. I know some of these. I read Swamp Thing. Fucking, but Joker coming back from hell is a little bit beyond the pale. And that's even outside of the readings of Joker where they get ridiculous and pretend that he's some kind of primordial god of chaos. Comic books are so silly that i resent them a lot of the time the joker is a fascinating villain because clowns are usually harmless funny people but this clown themed criminal is actually a ruthless killer and he thinks there's something kind of funny about that is alan moore the one who made the joker into a ruthless killer i mean he killed people in the golden age oh yeah but so did batman yeah No, I mean, like, the person who tried to make the Joker into something scary, was that Frank Miller? Was that Alan Moore? Did it predate them by a little bit? I don't know. It had to have happened in that range, though, when Batman went super dark back in the 80s. Yeah, probably happened in the 80s. Wasn't it Frank Miller? In uh, Dark Knight Returns? Yeah. I want to say yes. Because I think that a lot of the Joker from the Batman animated series was based on both The Dark Knight Returns and certain parts of The Killing Joke. But, you know, not bad. And instead, fun and engaging. Thanks, Mark Hamill. Thanks, Mark Hamill. Okay, Hateno. Has anyone actually actively dyed their outfits? Yes, absolutely. Lots of people like to dye their outfits. Crystal? I'm sorry? Do you dye your outfits in Breath of the Wild? No, I like to wear the climbing gear and nothing else. <laughs> now, for our listeners, there is a shop in Hiteno Village where you can dye the outfits that you wear so that certain parts of them will be different colors. And it's a lot of fun. You need supplies that are the color of whatever you want to make your outfits. But in general, you can pretty much customize as you like. In fact, for people who just really, really, really can't live without Link wearing the classic green outfit, then one of the very best things they can do is to take the Hylian tunic and Hylian hood and to dye them dark green. It's a pretty good classic Link look, and in fact, I think it looks better 
than the eventual uh, Link-style outfit you get after completing all the shrines. Yeah. But a lot of people like to dye that same outfit white and then run around pretending that they're Altair. Ugh. Anything What's else? Wrong with Altair? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Altair. It's just Monica wants things to look like Zelda and not like Assassin's Creed. It should do a crossover, like, like Metal Gear did. Like Final nice. Fantasy did? Yeah. Yeah. They did? Oh, Final Fantasy fifteen had a huge Assassin's Creed crossover event. Assassin's Creed is a media franchise in the continuity of Final Fantasy fifteen. I don't know what to think about that. Do I have that right, Crystal? That's correct, yes. Okay, thank Noctis you. Noctis is a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed games. Uh... Yeah. Wrap your head around that one. And there's an Assassin's Creed festival happening in the main town oh my god ubisoft is quite a lot larger in the time of final fantasy 15 than it is in current day no i never with this no never okay anyway no no, not in zelda no but dying did you dye your clothes at all no oh why not i i want the original clothes even if dying them makes them look better I don't think it makes them look better. The Hylian tunic can be a lot of colors that look really good. I like the color of the Hylian tunic. It's just like this rust red. Yeah. It's a bit loud. It it, it, it goes together nicely. I guess, but you can like make it a good tan that also goes together very nicely. No, original colors only. You are so basic sometimes. <laughs> Is there anything else about the town? I, I think of the guy who wanted to impress the the innkeeper. Oh, yeah. Crickets? Yeah, crickets. He was like, hey, can you bring me some uh, crickets? I'm going to need a hundred, but I think I can start with just ten. And then you can go talk to the innkeeper about this creepy guy who wants to woo her. And she's like, and you can ask her like, hey, do you like crickets? And she's like, crickets? Uh, yeah, no. No, what happens is the creepy guy who's stalking her is like, you have to go find out what she likes, okay? And Link is like, uh, yeah, all right. And he goes in and he's like, hey, if someone was to give you a gift, what would you want to get? And she stares at you and she's like, I'm trying to work. And Link's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, "Um, crickets, I guess. I would need at least a hundred of them. God, maybe that'll make him go away, it says in parentheticals. And then Link goes outside and he's like, yeah, she wants crickets, like a hundred of them. And he's like, oh my God, that'll take me forever to get. Do you think you could help me get my collection started with 10 crickets? And Link's like, yeah, here's 10 crickets jackass good luck motherfucker is he sabotaging this guy oh absolutely That's link great. link hates a lot of people in this game there's a lot of fuckboys in this game this yeah they're they're kind of a running theme actually oh. uh there's all like it's it, it, hateno is basically kakariko it's got all these gossiping villagers and the windmills the windmills uh it's got this couple who stays up day and night they're always very sad to me. Yeah, they never really see each other very much because one watches the windmills during the night and the other watches the windmills during the day. Yeah. And they only get to meet very briefly when they change shifts. Look at what the economy has done. Look at what the economy has done, I guess. Is that the economy? Capitalism? Is it, though? Because it's like, it's just that they're agreeing to do this. Maybe they can't stand each other. What? No! <laughs> Maybe they can ex- stand each other only for like about an hour a day. Oh my god. Isn't that better than they, they they want to be with each other for longer but they can't? No, it's sad this way. I like it. Sad is better than like, eee. Anyway, everyone's like, hey, them people up in that 
laboratory up there, they're up to some weird stuff. And we ain't seen the old lady what lives up there in a while, have we? And the kids think there's a little Sheikah girl. And the adults are like, there ain't been no little Sheikah girl up there. The woman who lives there is a hundred and zillion years old. She can't be having no kids, I think. How does Sheikah work, say the Hylians. <laughs> and Link goes up there, and uh, there's Pura after finishing writing down her diary as the result of somebody's age regression fanfic. Oh. Uh. And is it Simon? Simon, yeah. Simon. Simon, her assistant. And if you go to Pura before Impa, Pura will just pretend that Simon's the director here. Yes. Like, she's too embarrassed to talk about it until you talk to Impa, by which point she's had enough time to work through her shit. And then she treats it like a fun game where it's like, ah, I gotcha. No, I'm the director, though. I run this place. And she fixes part of your... You, you have to run back down to the bottom of Hateno Village and bring a torch with the blue fire all the way back up to light the furnace for the Guidance Stone, which a hundred years ago, Pura managed to escape Hyrule Castle hauling this Guidance Stone behind her. Yeah, it's actually in Robbie's diary that Pura managed to drag it out. And who knows if it was, like, right when the Calamity hit or if she went into the castle afterwards. But both are pretty nutty. Either way, she a bad one. You don't mess with Pura when she's trying to get her shit out. And she once you activate the Guidance Stone, which is essentially the stone that feeds your Sheikah Slate information with the big drops of light and the Sheikah Towers or the particular shrines that are on the Great Plateau, she can restore the functionality of your slate and this part of the functionality involves the ability to take pictures and the ability to uh encyclopedia of them yeah you can make an encyclopedia are those written from the perspective of pura or link because either way is very interesting because it implies that link has a lot of knowledge about his surroundings and all these monsters in spite of his uh amnesia it's automatic so either link is transcribing it carefully as he goes along or it was already in the slate's resources so it's like a ten thousand year old reference material but that doesn't make sense because it also describes more modern things like the rabbit shield so link link is doing this link is writing down his own information i don't think he's he's it the slate is transcribing it from his brain uh, what, what what I mean is it's drawing from his knowledge. Yes. Which is interesting because it implies that this Link actually knows a lot about how different things work and the history of monster development and shit like that. Like, he knows yeah, lore. Yeah, works. You only forget the stuff that matters. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's definitely how video game amnesia works. That makes sense. Let me ask you a question. Please. Do you think there are more people on Earth who have really existed in life who have had amnesia or more fictional characters? Fictional. Easily more fictional characters. Really? Okay. What do you think? Probably fictional characters. We're not going to include, like, illnesses like dementia. Yeah. We're going to go, like, the, the classical, like... Hit your head and now you can't remember your name. Right. Though that... I'm sure that does happen. Yes, it happens. But... It's not like in it is in the movies, and it's not that common. Yeah. yeah. It's more of a medical oddity than anything else, I think. And usually it's a lot worse. Like, it's not, there's no person perfectly walking around going, I can remember. You lose language. Yeah, yeah there's, 
a lot of shitty things relating to it. Yeah. And you're not... Well, anyway. I think that it's probably... It's not just one thing, though, right? Actual amnesia would be, like, on a spectrum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I I don't know, but I'm going to say, just off the cuff, probably fictional people. So, Pura restores the functionality of your Sheikah Slate to be able to take pictures, but she also restores this very special uh, gallery of 12 photographs in particular, which are linked to specific moments that Link had with Zelda a hundred years ago. And she's like, okay, this, you need to go ask my big sister about this shit. And she'll tell you what's up. You can't delete them. That's probably a good thing. It's a very good thing. So, off Link gets his happy ass back to Kakariko Village. And because he has a teleportation device, he probably just warps back and then uses his hang glider to go straight to Impa's house. Sure. That's what I would do. Jesus. There are some playthroughs where it's like, I'm going to go the whole thing without ever warping. And some people do do that. I think that maybe I might have done that in my Master Mode playthrough up to a point. But good lord, this game is big. There's only so much time. So Link definitely warps his ass back to Kakariko. He goes back and talks to Impa. Impa looks through all these pictures and says, Yes, okay. If you go to these places, you will definitely be able to restore your memories. In fact, the nearest one is at the eastern end of Lanayru Road. You can get there by leaving the village to the north? Yeah, I think the north. Northeast? North, northeast, somewhere in there. But we don't need to go through the memories. We've done that already. We did definitely do that. Chronologically. But Link still goes up there. Why did they choose this one as the first memory? I think that it's a good way to frame the rest of the memories because it lets all of the champions talk a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it also shows the beginning of the catastrophe that ended everything. Yeah, because we mostly know that that's something we knew of the before times. There was a catastrophe. Yes. I guess we know there were there were other people around. It tells us it tells us a lot about the champions, uh, but mostly in how they relate to Zelda. And it's the kind of memory where you can go back and watch it again after all the others and have a greater understanding of the character dynamics going on. Like Mifa's whole thing where she almost finishes her sentence might read a little bit ambiguously the first time you watch that memory. But once you've gone through the Zora's Domain segment of the game, it's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What are the other memories that are easily accessible or early accessible? I Uh, guess the ceremony. The ceremony, which is in the courtyard to the south of Hyrule Castle Town. There's the one with the one where Zelda made Link eat a frog off on the western side of Hyrule Castle. Um, Who goes west first? Some people. You can pretty easily reach the one in the bazaar near uh, Gerudo Desert or Gerudo Town. You can get to... Uh, we won't count the one on Death Mountain. That one's a little difficult to reach. Um, the one where they're walking towards Death Mountain. Yeah. There's also the one in the forest uh, where Link and Zelda are fleeing the Guardians. There's the one where Link and Zelda are uh, sitting... Zelda sitting under a tree while Link trains in the rain. There's a bunch of them you can reach relatively easily early in the game. Where do we go from here? Do we go to Robbie? Crystal, where did you go from here? Zora's Domain. Okay, so you're thinking maybe Akala after Zora's Domain? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. One of the things that happened to me when I first played through is that after I came back and talked to Impa, 
Um, I put a marker for the shrine that's down in the swamp plain that you can see from up in Kakriko Village. So I sailed myself down there and I went in and I did the shrine. And then I walked out and I explored around a little bit. And while I was exploring, I ended up finding the Zora lady. Oh, yeah. And she's like, hey, this might seem like a silly question, but you're a Hylian, right? And I'm like, yeah, I think. Amnesia. (laughs) But yeah. And she's like, listen, my prince, Prince Sidon, is very specifically looking for a Hylian. And would you do me the really big favor of going to him and hearing what he has to say? And he's over at that bridge. uh, What is it called? Inogo. Inogo Bridge. Uh, You won't be able to miss him, believe me. And also, when you see him, please do not tell him that I was just swimming around in circles and splashing for fun because i'm not doing that and it don't don't tell him as you're going around you you can run into far more zora the designers saw fit to sprinkle zora in this entire region so that if you did any exploring around this whole zone near kakariko village you would get some kind of signposting that you needed to head towards enogo bridge my favorite one is actually on top of the tower in the area. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He was he was napping, and then I guess that was when... He must have been napping for... No, he must have been stuck up there for a while. Yeah. He was napping, and then the tower came up, and he went up with it, and he just can't get the attention of Sidon, who's down there in the bridge he can see, and he is um, trying- too afraid to jump down into the river. He's trying to work up the courage. Yeah. He does but it that, eventually. That river is quite some distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just like directly under the tower. You have to sail a bit on your paraglider. Yeah. As as a Hylian. Yeah. Yeah, he does jump eventually. I don't know how he makes it. By jumping really far. Why doesn't he just climb down? He's scared of heights. I'm scared of heights. Yeah. I'm not going to try to swim into the river. Well, I guess I'm not a Zora. You're not a Zora. So due to the way that this quest is set up, this is, I think... The This is the beginning of the quest to free the Divine Beast Varuta, and I think that the vast majority of players will end up doing this one first, because they do their very best to funnel you in this direction as organically as possible. And mostly it works. And I think that Varuta also serves as the best first Divine Beast narratively, for how it plays with the setting, and it also plays with your expectations with regards to the champions. Yeah. We'll get into that. So you follow all of these random Zoras who are sprinkled about, and you go towards that bridge that you really can't avoid because it's raining. Yeah, it's raining, and you have no way to cross the river except over this bridge because it's a wide fucking river. And it's slippery everywhere. Yeah, you can't climb in the rain. And there is a big friendly shark dude. Yeah, Prince Who jumps Sidon. down. Uh Crystal, when you first saw Prince Sidon, was your did did you think that the internet would love this guy? Yeah, I did think the internet would love this guy because he's like uh, like a tokusatsu man. Could you elaborate on what that means? Uh, it's like high budget science fiction fantasy shows in Japan, such as Common Rider, uh, Super Sentai, Ultraman, and the like. 
So he's very high energy, very friendly, and believes in his friends. He likes. He acts like a common writer. Ah, uh, he has. He has a pose. He does. Yeah, he he does actually. A sort of we can do it pose. I think that I also had the same impression the instant that I saw him. I was like, oh no, it's not going to be the champions. This guy's the one. Everyone's going to love this guy. I don't think Nintendo knew. No, they didn't. They had no. They didn't know what they had done. <laughs> Uh, this is the probably highest traffic ship. Oh, easily and by far. I would say that it's like it goes Link and Sidon, then probably Link and Zelda or Link and Kaz. And then there's a, like there's power a power gap. there's a power gap, but there's another power gap between Link and Sidon versus everyone else. Yeah. It is easily the biggest ship out of this game by far. Because Sidon is the character that everyone likes best, so naturally they ship him with Link. Sidon's nice. Sidon is nice. I mean, he's better than, like, Yonobo and... Who's the Rito guy? Oh, fuck. I could have told you if you didn't ask me. <laughs> uh, Ta-ta-ta-ti-m. Ta-ta-ba. Ta-ta-ba. I'll look it up. Tabarn. No, Tabarn <laughs> is the Fire Emblem hawk guy. I, I know that. Oh, okay. So Barnes a very distinctive name. And Reedra's the closest one to Sidon, but she's not as uh, enthusiastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's definitely got the queen thing going on. Tiba. 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 I actually like Tiba's design, but there's not much to him. He's got oh. a great design. But, I mean, Unibo's a good boy. Come on. He's fine. He's fine. He, that's one thing about Unibo that differs a lot, uh, depending on how you play it. I guess we... I was going to talk about this once we actually got to him. Let's wait. Okay. Um, so you talk to Sidon, and Sidon's like, Hey, you're a Hylian, and my people are in bad need of help that can only be provided by a Hylian. If you are willing to help us, I'd be very grateful if you would come to Zora's domain and give us a hand. So will you do that? And Link's like, Yeah. And he's like, Great. You and me, we're friends now. I'll meet you up there, and don't worry, I'll be keep an eye on you the whole way by the way the entire path up there is filled with monsters that use electricity weapons which are super deadly to zora but are still really deadly to you so here's a potion that will protect you from electricity a little bit how nice how nice Sidon can just swim up the waterfall he goes zora in this game swim like way 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 more extremely than zora in older games do like they just go up any waterfall they don't care I like the trek up to Zora's Domain. It's very nicely crafted. Yeah, Breath of the Wild doesn't have a ton of places that require you to go along specific routes. So it feels very unique in the context of the rest of the experience. And it can be sort of soothing approaching the puzzle of how to get through an area without getting murdered by electric arrows. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is a dungeon, effectively. Yes, it is a very small dungeon. It's like Breath of the Wild's Beneath the Well. Mm-hmm. It's also, uh, for most of the game, the best way to get arrows. Shock arrows? No, arrows in general, because oh. almost everything drops arrows here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one trip through this, you might pick up as many as 100 arrows. And arrows are a precious resource in Breath of the Wild, so it feels real good to have that many. So you trek on up, and there's some large inscripted stone monuments around. Which we talked about a little bit on a previous it. episode. Yep. But Link can use these to learn about the history of the region and actually how he relates to it and how Mifa relates to it. And in all of this, 
you get the impression that the king whose words are being transcribed here is still holding out hope that one day his daughter will be free of the divine beast. You also read about the artists who transcribed these monuments, originally designed to be just one. But now there's ten. Yes, plus this one. Plus this last one where he's He will forever be memorialized as long as he remembers to write down his name. And he does not. I always feel sad. I don't feel that sad. It's a little funny. Okay, it's pretty sad. So Link makes his way up to Zora's Domain. And this is easily the prettiest version of Zora's Domain, I think. Yes. It's like, how would you describe this? It is sitting on and around blue stone cliffs. And it's a delicately carved stone like a fountain with a giant fish leaping out of it. it. It's like the whole city is a big fountain that's suspended above an enormous lake. Yes. It reminds me of that one city from Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I would not be surprised if Monolith designed Zora's Domain. I could definitely see where you're coming from with that. I can't remember the name of that city, but it, it does have a lot of the same feel. And we learn that the Zora, I guess because of their long lives and because the area is so rich in good stones, um, has crafted almost entirely out of luminous stones. Right. Which makes the city very beautiful at night. Yes. You also find, when you first arrive at the gates of Zora's domain, the first guard that you talk to stops and he looks at you and says, Wait a second, that's not possible. Link? And... His daughter, who's off to the side, is like, uh, what, Dad, what are you doing? Because she's another of the Royal Guard. And he's like, Link, do you remember me? We were in the Baz Brigade together. Because this is one of Link's childhood friends. And Link, of course, does not remember who this person is. And this is a conversation that he will have with several other people. But this is the point at which it is established that Zora lived for a very long time in this setting. The people that you thought were lost to time are still with you in Zora's domain. And that is the first bit of expectation set for the conflict to come. This is a really cool setup. Um, The Zora being elves in the Tolkien style. Sure. Has any other fiction really dealt with... The particular setup of this? Yeah. Not that I can think of. People sleeping for a hundred years or so. I just think of Lufia where... In the, the, in the first game, which is a um, set much later on than the second game. The second game is a prequel. The second game is a prequel. You do meet an elf who was part of the original troop. And he, you know, he's still kicking around. And that's cool. But uh, then, nothing and, like this. Then in Lufia 2, he's actually in your party. Yes. But uh, nothing like this where you are a shorter lived species and, you know come back. It's interesting here because the entire setup for the game so far has gotten you used to the idea that everyone you knew is dead except for maybe Zelda. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of removed. Your Hyrule is a world populated by ghosts, especially for Link. The way that you move through and interact with your memories, the ruins that you go through, the weapons that you pick up, everything is a relic of a conflict that already took place of people who lost their lives either 
before or because of your own failures. Hyrule is a land of echoes, but when you arrive in Zora's domain, the echoes are spoken from living mouths, and here are people who remember you for who you were. Sidon also remarks that your name is oddly familiar. Yes. Sidon was a wee, wee, wee baby a hundred years ago. So he doesn't actually remember you distinctly. He remembers impressions of you, and that's why he doesn't immediately recognize you. But here's one of Link's old childhood friends. And he's like, oh, wow. Okay, you should go talk to the king like right now. But watch out for the old people. Those of us who were young at the time of the calamity, we understood that things happened and that there wasn't really any helping a lot of it. But the elders, those who knew Mipha and loved her, they they never really got over it. And they never stopped blaming Hylians. They never stopped blaming you. So that's the introduction that Link has for how he moves through the world in Zora's domain. And the number of people who recognize you when you go through is actually relatively low, maybe about a third of them in total. But the ones who do really remember you, and a lot of them hate you very much. There's the innkeeper who had a crush on him. Yeah, who calls Link Linny. Um, she's the one who, when they were younger, made Link choose between her and Mipha. Don't. <laughs> you don't. 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 I'm just illu- I'm just explaining who she is. Yeah. I didn't say anything. I could see it welling up within you. I didn't you. say. Uh, no. I didn't intend to. Okay. There's... Baz, who Baz. is another one of the... I think he's actually the guard outside of the king's throne room. And Link taught him swordplay? Yes. He actually learned swordplay from Link because normally Zora don't really fight with swords. They fight with lances. Makes sense. Yeah. And then there's all the old people. And the old people all remember you. Every single one of them. It takes them a minute sometimes, but every single one of them recognizes you and then basically spits on you. They know why you're here and they won't try to run you out. But more than one of them says, if I was any younger, I would kill you where you stand. Good luck. (laughs) Well, they would definitely try. I know, but it's Link. Yeah. You sure like to pass the buck a lot. I do. How do you mean? Link killed like a million guardians. What do you want? <laughs> they want their princess not to be gone. Okay. Apparently Mifa healed all of them very well. Yes. And very tenderly. They the It is difficult to describe the degree to which the Zora elders loved their princess. Like... We're seeing in them the kind of devotion that we theorize might exist for certain versions of Zelda, but this is the first time we've ever seen it concretely in this series. And the fact that Link and Mipha were so close, at least according to how the elders saw it, is another reason for which they blame him that she did not return. The fact that he was supposed to have died and is alive is just another layer on top of that. Funnily enough, nobody really questions, like, gee, Hylians have a lifespan of, what, 60 years? There's one or two of them that are like, well, this is weird. Yeah. Fuck it. But- <laughs> they, d- they never question the evidence of their eyes. Yeah. Because, I-, I guess, if you're a group of people who live to be at least, like, 200. Three or 400 years, I would think. Yeah. But, I mean, at least yeah. 200, easy. Um, it-, it probably wouldn't be that unnatural to see... A 
person kicking around. They go, yeah, I knew you guys could live that long. Just hiding it or... Oh, you haven't aged Not swimming much. enough. <laughs> not eating enough fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that a big part of the reason that people like the Zora's Domain part of the game so much is exactly because everyone here knows who Link oh, is. Oh, absolutely. And they should have had just another race that that was long lived too, like the Grudo. I feel the Gorons or the Gorons, sure. Uh, the thing is, I think that it works really well in the context of this one spot to have people actually remember Link and be angry at him specifically. But this is also the only place that's still really dealing emotionally, really tangibly with the fallout of the calamity. It's also that Mifa has an actual history with Link. None of the other champions really do. At least not in a way that's reflected in the quest line. Right. And that's significant. Yeah, it is They signif- really should have done more. It, like, that. Link should have been friends with all the champions and have that come up in each of these quests. Yes. That would have made some sense, and it also would have increased your emotional investment in it. I could see why they didn't do it, but... And, and for like, it may not have been necessary for the way that the setup in uh, Gerudo Town worked. We'll get to Gerudo Town later. But it would have helped bolster things a lot in Rito Village or in Gorin City. Absolutely. See, this is why Monolith, who definitely designed this area, I'm, just, I'm deciding that now. <laughs> yeah. Should make a Zelda game. Uh, uh, mmm, mmm, I don't know. Why? They made the best part of Breath of the Wild. Oh, well, I mean, like, I don't know if they're if they were writers. You've decided they did the writing too. <laughs> the scenario. Yeah, I've decided that. Okay. Well, it really it really feels like okay. There's four areas, and they're they each it's like uh uh play the pancakes, and they took some of the pancakes away from the Gorons, and a little bit from the Gerudo, and a lot from the Rito, and gave them all to the Zora. Yeah, they stack their pancakes here. Do you think that the Xenoblade games are <laughs> consistent in how good they are between areas? I don't know. I've never played any of them. Oh, oh they're not. <laughs> okay. To be I, clear. To be clear, my my statement was not under the assumption that they had anything to do with this monolith soft. I just mean this area is the most well-crafted. Yeah. I think, story-wise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, each of the areas has a lot going for them in their own way, I think. And I think that, generally speaking, people are too harsh on the Rito and the Gorin areas. But the Zora's Domain is number one as an experience with a bullet, both as a sequence to play through and as a thing where you can get attached to it emotionally. And you can feel that in the writing for Link as a character, too. That comes up a little bit more after we finish this quest line. So you walk into Zora's Domain... There's a statue of Mifa there. Erected in her memory. No reaction from Link. No, he just looks up at it. No, that's not true. He doesn't have no reaction to it. It just comes a little no bit memory. later. A little bit later. Yet. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that the first experience, you don't have anything yet. At first he's like, wow, what a nice statue. <laughs> there, there's a secretary for the royal family of, um, of Zora here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, hey, there's a Lionel. We probably need a picture of it to get people to stay away. If you get a picture of that Lionel, I'll make sure to give you something nice. Later, she gives you pants. <laughs> um, that's a nice gift. It is. They're good Zora pants. They make you swim faster. That's uh, a good gift. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There's a smith, but he's not going to help you. No, he hates your fucking guts. 
Uh, that's uh, what was his name? Oh, I can't remember for the life of me, but he uh, he's one of those who had big affections for Mikva back in the day. He's very old. Uh, there is the vizier who looks like a ray. Oh, we'll get to him. Oh, okay. You, I really like how the Zoras like sleep in these communal pools. Yeah, that's cool. Like they don't have houses. They don't have um, delineations of property in the same way that Hylians apparently might. They all have places that they go to work, and they all sleep in the same pools together. That's really cool. So at least in that sense, they feel pretty separate from the rest of the peoples of Hyrule, just in terms of how their society is structured. Yeah. And you walk up two flights of grand staircases and go into the mouth of the leaping fish. And here's your throne room. And there's a gigantic whale person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the king. That's King Dorifan. The best of the Zora kings. Best of any of the kings, really. Yeah. Can you think of a king who's better than Dorifan in this series, Crystal? Sure ain't any Hylians. Ganondorf. <laughs> oh, I think, oh, why? Not in terms of being good to his people, but in terms of me liking him. Oh, okay, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, Ganondorf's the coolest. <laughs> well, Dorfan lifted a guardian and chucked it. Oh, that's so cool, though. Fuck. Dorfan is good. <laughs> it's like he picks up the guardian and it gets a laser blast off and it, like, scores his head and leaves this big fucking scar. So, is Dorfan so big because he's a whale Zora, or because he's old, or because he's the king Zora? I think that it's all three. Well, would Mifa get that big? Yes, she would have. Will Sidon? No, he's a shark. Sidon is about as big as he's ever going to get. That's still pretty big. Yeah, he's huge. He's the second biggest Zora pretty easily. It's just that second biggest Zora means that he's about as large as his father's forearm. Dorifan is colossal. He's clearly modeled after some kind of baleen whale, and uh, they, they use his scale very interestingly to frame this scene. Yeah, when he leans in. To he Link. leans in real close, and he's another person who recognizes Link instantly. Yeah. And he's so happy to see him. He's the only old person in the entire setting who looks at Link and goes, oh, it is so good to see you again. I don't know. Impa's very happy. No, I mean in the Zora's Domain oh, setting. okay. Um, Sidon introduces you, just being very happy that Link made it. You can actually get a different version of this scene. By not talking to Sidon? Yeah, by not talking and avoiding Sidon somehow. And, you know, I guess avoiding the whole bridge area. Yeah. And in that case, he tries to shoo you from the room. Because you, you know, didn't announce your visit or whatever. Right. And then he's like, wait a second. Hylian. <laughs> But in this version of the story. Yes. Which 99% of people will see. Yeah. He's very happy to see you. He's very confused that his dad recognizes you. And then when he starts to put things together, he's like, you're that Link? Oh, shit. And then the vizier's over there like, meh. <laughs> well, yeah, Dorfan's really impressed that Sidon managed to find you. You, Hylian champion. He's like, this is good. This this could be the hope for our people. And the And he asks a favor. He uses very polite terms and, and you know, blunt 
informal terms. He drops all sense of etiquette and decorum when he's speaking to Link specifically. They were very close in a past life. Yes. Um, but this is too much for Vizier Muzu. Ray guy. Yeah, his name is Muzu. Oh, somebody was named Segen. Segen is the guy who's touching the shock arrows at the bottom of the stairs, trying to build up his resistance to them. Oh, poor guy. Oh, Monica's getting all teary-eyed over Segen because... It's not doing anything. Segen's an old shit, but he's also an old shit because of a very deep-held pain, and he's trying to do something about it. Sora just have zero, like, electrical tolerance. Right. And I think Sidon mentions when he gives you the potion that electrical potions just don't work for Zora. They don't. Just hopeless. It's bad. Anyway, um, Vizier storms off. Because it's like, you want to get help from the man who failed Mipha so completely that we lost her forever. I will not be part of this foolishness, and you will bring ruin upon us by placing your hopes in him. And he's gone. And Dorafan's like, look, everyone here carries the loss of Mipha in different ways. Forgive him if you can, because what pain he expresses, he expresses out of love. He gives you the tunic at this point, too. Yes, he does. Well, Sidon goes to talk to Muzu, because Muzu has the knowledge that you need to try to address the problem of Varuta. And actually, we skipped over it a little bit. But Dorafan and Sidon explain the problem to you in that Varuta, seated at the top of the Great Reservoir, which holds back Zor's Domain's floodwaters, is producing a stream of water that has filled the reservoir to bursting. And if that dam should burst, it will destroy Hyrule utterly, unleashing a torrent of water that will obliterate Zora's domain and flood the entire country. There would be no Hyrule left. It would be uncomfortable for the Zora, but it would be lethal for everyone else. I think that that first crash would wipe out the Zora to a person. Um, it's kind of interesting that Varuta can just create water. Yeah. What do we make of that? She, it has to be drawing water from some. What do you think, Crystal? How does Varuta no. create an endless stream of clean water? Uh, magic. <laughs> magic. Well, that's fair. Fusing hydrogen carbon, hydrogen atoms with oxygen atoms. No, it just makes them. Just, just, just makes them. Makes the atoms. Magic. How did the gods do it? They pulled it from another nebula. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, it's teleporting water from Earth. That makes sense to me. The idea that it could be pulling water from elsewhere in the water system, so to speak. Especially because Sheikas are capable of warp technology. Yeah, that makes sense. Teleporting water. Yeah, good. That works for me. Thank you, Crystal. You solved the mystery. <laughs> and Dorafan's like, we have to try to deal with Varuta. Because it will, of course, destroy Hyrule and us. And the only way that we know how to deal with it is through the use of shock arrows. Because it has power regulators on its shoulders. And we can't use shock arrows. Zora can't do that. Segen has the most resistance of any of the Zora. And he was able to get off one shot. And it, and it landed. Worked. It worked. The water slowed down a little bit, but quickly returned to its previous pace. Muzu knows where to get more shock arrows. 
but Muzu, Muzu carries his wounds on his arm. And before you leave to follow Sidon, who has gone to reason with Muzu, Dorfan stops you and says, Listen, this is something that was being held for you for a very long time. I think, I think you might have need of it soon, so I'm going to give it to you now. And he gives you this little chest, and you open it, and inside is a suit of Zora armor. And it's clear by the description that Zora armor is made by Zora princesses for their future husbands. Now, he doesn't say at this point where the Zora armor came from. And it's very possible, in fact, I think it may be completely likely, that you've... Is there even a pet, like a stone monument about the armor? Yeah, no, about the scale. And yeah, yeah there okay. is. But you don't necessarily know You've that... You've absolutely pieced it together by now. I said you don't necessarily okay. know that Mifa made this for Link yet. We have smart listeners. I think they fit the puzzle together. Well, some of them didn't play the damn game. I know we have at least two or three who have never played a Zelda game before, and we're somehow the only introduction to the lore that they get. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry too. So you go down, and Muzu and Sidon are having an argument at the foot of Mifa's statue. And Muzu knows where the shock arrows are, but he refuses to help Link because Link's a shit. And Sidon's like, look, I didn't want to talk about this, but my sister loved Link. He was going to be her husband. I thought that I would recognize him because when I was young, I remember a Hylian who wanted to take my sister away. And I hated him, but I didn't know him when I saw him. But he's the one, and Muzu says, there is no way you could possibly prove to me that Mifa had any feelings for this man. That's ridiculous. And after that conversation, Sidon turns to you and says, unless we come up with some way to prove that Mifa had feelings for you, I don't know how we're going to progress in this. So what you do is you put on the Zora armor, and you go back and you talk to them again, and Sidon says, ah, see here, Muzu? You can see the armor that my sister made. You recognize it with your own eyes. Do you see how it fits this man? And Muzu looks and he says, that, that's impossible. That, that fits perfectly as if it were, as if it were made for him. And it fucks up Muzu so bad that he doesn't know how to deal with it. And this is when Link looks up and he remembers Mifa. He remembers the conversation before she proposed to him. Or didn't propose to him. Or whatever. <laughs> but the, This seems to confirm that they are not married. They're not married, no. Okay. Depending on your interpretation of Zora customs. Because, again, we did arrive at the conclusion that they may have decided to go public with it armor-wise after the calamity was done. That's what me and Crystal said. Okay. Am I wrong? In that is what you said. Okay. They never hugged. <laughs> No, they were saving the hug for the honeymoon. For the the uh, wedding night. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Link remembers and Muzu relents because seeing that his princess loved this man, he cannot deny Link some level of support. And he says that the shock arrows that they seek will be at the top of Ploymus Mountain where a Lionel makes its territory. Hey, you killed a Lionel there before. Yes, it's probably the same Lionel. It could be the same Lionel returned under the power of the Blood Moon. 
So that's your goal. Get up Ployumus Mountain. Good thing you can climb waterfalls now, because otherwise you can't get your ass up there. Before you go there, you should probably go and get the helm. I, I, you have to go partway up Ployumus to get the damn helm. Why would you need the helm anyway? I don't know. Get a full armor set? Nah. We haven't got two great fairies yet, so it doesn't matter. Okay. We haven't gone to Akala. Um... This is your first experience or encounter with a Lionel, usually. Usually, unless you travel too far past the first memory. Unless you're playing Master Mode. Yeah, but most people ain't. Um, Lionel? Fun? I love Lionels. Um, In case our listeners do not know, Lionels are like these big centaur things, only instead of being regular centaurs, they're like person, ram, horse, Lion, lion centaurs they have huge lion heads and their horse bodies are like the size of rhinoceroses and their torsos are enormous they're easily as large as like ganondorf the man was or bigger and they're just like pure destruction incarnate and they're super fun to fight and they're the hardest enemies in the game crystal do you like lionels lionels are very well designed yeah yeah they're cool i like how they just sort of sniff and growl around until they spot you and then they metal gear solid yeah they get that big exclamation point over their heads and then the song kicks in well sometimes they'll just look at you they have a very distinct aggro range where they'll see you but they won't necessarily attack until you either get too close or draw a weapon right other monsters they'll just charge you lionels try and size you up first and they they can fire a lot of arrows all at once Uh uh-huh they have special magic bows. So that... don't try to attack from range. No, don't. So you fight the line. You can sneak around. You're going to need 20 shock arrows, according to Muzu. You won't end up using that many, but this is just in case you have bad aim. And you have two choices for how to do this. You can either... Oh, three choices. You can either sneak around without ever confronting the Lionel and pick up all the shock arrows that are littered around the environment. There's a lot. And flee. There's about 20. You can kill the Lionel... And he'll drop about 20. Or you can do both and just have a lot of shock arrows. And that's what I like to do. Yeah. Murder and then go around at my leisure. And then you jump off of Shatterback Point. Shatterback Point and you dive down for like 500 meters. Great. It's The best games, and this is my rule and it's always been true, the best games you can jump from waterfalls. This isn't really a waterfall. If there's a waterfall. This isn't really a waterfall jump. You do have waterfall jumps you can make. Yes. But this one is a... The point is you like really high dives. Right. Well, if there's a waterfall in the game, you must be able to jump off of it. That's the definition of a good game. And Shatterback Point, even though it's not a waterfall, still fits in this because you're diving into a really, 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 really far below body of water. Yeah. And Fall Roots is over there. Yeah. Saves your trip down. Yeah. And Sidon is there at the pier. Yeah. And he's ready to take you over. And there's Are no reason ready? to there's no reason for us to delay. Okay, let's go. So begins what many people consider the action highlight of the entirety of Breath of the Wild, where you and Prince Sidon have a big fucking fight with the divine beast Varuta. You surf on Sidon. Sidon carries you on his back. While Varuta, like, hurls giant ice blocks at you, and it's got this really cool music that plays the whole time. It's, like, the best combat theme that the series has had in, like, 15 years. Crystal, did you figure out that you could cryonis the ice blocks? What? (laughs) Oh, 
Uh, yeah, a lot. The thing for our listeners, what uh, Varuta does as its primary form of attack is hurl ice blocks at you, and they might go through the air or they'll come through the water. And a lot of players, when they go through, will shoot the ice blocks with arrows. But one of the things that your Cryonis rune can do is make ice blocks and shatter those same ice blocks. And observant players will take note that the ice blocks that Varuta creates are the same color as your own. So if you point the Cryonis rune at them, you can just shatter them without using up any ammunition. Is that news to you, Crystal? Yes. <laughs> news. News. Well, if you ever play through again, give Cryonis a try. It makes the whole fight a lot easier. Incidentally, that also works in the battle with the Water Blight. Crystal, what did you think of this sequence, the attack on Varuta? It's the best boss fight in the game. It's very, like, visually exciting. And you get to ride around on Sidon's back. And I always like jumping up in slow motion to shoot arrows. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. They really front-loaded the experience in this term. So, like, I think that the outside of Varudania, the others are pretty okay. But this one's definitely top. It helps that Sidon's shouting encouragement at you the entire time. Yes. So you swim up the waterfalls coming off Varuta's side and you shoot lightning arrows at the power converters that are on its shoulders. In slow-mo. In slow-mo. And once you get all four, Varuta goes into a kind of shutdown mode and lowers itself into the water. And Sidon makes you promise that you will make it out all right from within Varuta. That the two of you will see each other again. It's worth mentioning that the Zora, many Zora think Mifa still might be in there. This she is, this is one ex- of the. This is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Once we yeah, get past, and Link climbs on. Yeah, Link gets in there, and Varuta rises back up, and then you go through the dungeon. Um, Crystal, what did you think of the actual Divine Beast as a dungeon? You know, I don't think I could distinguish any of the Divine Beasts from each other if you showed me them. Oh yeah. Well, it, yeah. All these dungeons kind of blend together just because they're so visually similar. <laughs> The only way you can recognize them is by what sort of puzzles you're dealing with. Oh, I see. So Varuta yeah. has a lot of um, water-based puzzles. Yeah. Varudania has dark and light puzzles. Uh, Va Meadow has puzzles where you have to tilt the environment and then glide around a lot. Oh. Yes. And Va Naboris is just a bunch of electricity puzzles. Uh-huh. And yes, aesthetically, they're all basically similar to each other, except for your ability to go on the outside of the Divine Beasts and see them moving. And the scale of the Divine Beast is enormous once you're actually on them. It's kind of preposterous, actually. But I really enjoy them as, like, puzzle boxes. Yes. Just I like, like them. And they're, they're, they're decent dungeons. I wouldn't say they hold up compared to anything in, say, Skyward Sword. No, Skyward Sword had the marriage between puzzle boxes and theming. The Divine Beasts are more like really big sort of cogent shrines, essentially. Yeah. And there's nothing worth really fighting around. No, there's some corrupted guardians, but they're all easy to kill. And there's some like floating skull vomiting mouth things, but you can kill those. But as you're moving through the dungeon, Mipha speaks to you. She's been waiting for you for a long time, and now that you're here, she can guide you through the Divine Beast and make sure that you can free it to be used against Ganon. And this starts by you activating the map module, 
that lets you control the divine beast in a small way. For Varuta, that is moving its trunk so you could control where the water that it's spewing will fall. For Cameron, this was 40 minutes into the dungeon. I don't want to. <laughs> we don't need to revisit that. I don't I don't think there's any point to it, really. Um, and after you get the map node, you're supposed to go through and activate... The number varies, but I think it's four more power nodes in Varuta. And once you do all of them, that will cause a hard reset in Varuta that will allow you to take full control of it. And after you activate all the nodes by solving puzzles and going over the whole thing, including a really cool sequence where you have to run down the trunk, and it's like, it's so big. It's hard to communicate how big it is. And after you do all that, you go back to the main sequence, and out comes the water blight, Ganon. There are five Ganons in this game. Yes. There is the Calamity, and there are the four Blights. This Blight is based on the element of water. It fights with an enormous spear in the Zora style, and it can also create blocks of ice. Is it a mockery of the Zora? Yeah, I think definitely. 100%. That's pretty cool. What do you think, Crystal? Oh, you know my theory on the Ganons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you just go ahead and repeat it for our listeners who have forgotten the original Breath of the Wild episode? Well, the the uh, champions all got killed in our ghosts, and the Ganons are their reanimated bodies. That's a that's a deeply grotesque theory that I like a lot on its face. I think it yeah. works. The only problem is that Mifa says that this thing is the thing that defeated her in battle a hundred uh, years ago. Yes. Oh. In fact, all of the champions identify these beasts as the ones that defeated them. Mifa uses ambiguous language to describe this. The water blight in some ways is the easiest of the blights to fight, though if you're going through the Champion's Ballad DLC on Master Mode, it becomes one of the hardest fights in the entire franchise. You can, you can permanently lose in it. Oh, it, you can easily get to a point at which it is utterly impossible to win. Don't accidentally throw your spear. Do not lose all of your arrows, of which you only get ten, but that doesn't really matter. It's a relatively easy fight most of the time in regular context, like the one we're talking about. So, you defeat the Water Blight, and this is where the game fucks with your expectations a little bit. The entirety of Zora's Domain has been set up to create this possibility space that Mifa is still alive. Many of the Zora think that she might still be alive. Dorafan thinks that she is still alive. You meet many people that you knew as a child, Everyone remembers you. The whole thing is about building up this expectation that somehow, in some way, Mifa will be there when you reach the end. She speaks to you. She never declares that she is dead. You know that Zelda, in theory, is still alive. So it's like, as the first dungeon, this is really effective because it also plays with your expectations. It gives you the hope that over time you will free all of the champions and that together you can take on Ganon. But when Mipha appears, and the blue fires float in the air around her, and her feet never quite touch the ground, Breath of the Wild reminds you that you are moving through a world of ghosts, and that your failures are always walking at your back, and that your hopes are always before you, but they are tempered by your loss. And Mifa says that she is so glad that she has had this opportunity to see you, even just one more time. 
and that the two of you will work together to see Ganon defeated. She does give you one thing, I think, and it's either her or Urbosa who says this, and it is that the princess is alive. I think, it, I think it might be Urbosa. I think that might be Urbosa. Yeah, that might be Urbosa. <laughs> Mifa doesn't actually say that. She's just like, hey, I was sad for a long time, but seeing you again has given me hope. I think she makes a comment in the Champions Ballad DLC about Zelda. Does she? Yes. I don't remember. One of the scrolling texts when you beat... Oh, man. Going back and redoing that one will take me a minute. But yeah, okay. So Mifa's dead, and she grants you her healing power, which is probably the most busted-ass ability in the game. (laughs) It's a good first ability to get. It's a great first ability. Mifa's grace makes it so that if you take enough damage that will cause you to die, it will refill your hearts and give you five extra hearts. And it takes 30 minutes to uh, recharge, but that's enough time to get you out of danger. So what do we make of this? Does Link just have a skill? Is it literally like in the game, if he gets you know, fatal damage, he gets healed? Or does he possess some light healing powers now? That he can use whenever? No, I think that it is as the game presents it to us. When Link, it's like Mifa says, she will always heal his wounds. And when he takes a wound that terrible, she manifests yeah. and brings him back from the edge of death. What do you think, Crystal? How, what What is this exactly? What is Mifa's grace? I think the ghost of Mifa is following Link around and appears when he is near death but needs to take a break sometimes have you two seen that comic where sidon is missing mifa oh yeah Yeah. link like jumps off a cliff or something and goes womp in front of sidon and it it kills him and then like mifa pops up and then looks over at sidon and the two of them just stare at each other for a second and then link raises his head and he's like did you see her (laughs) and sidon's like link what the fuck that's a good fan comment good comment I'm sure that I could find it if I go searching for it. It's, uh, that, that's interesting. And Link is returned to Zora's domain, and Mifa, back in control of Varuta, takes it to the top of the mountain overlooking the domain and aims its weapon at the heart of Hyrule Castle. And now she's ready, and she will wait until her moment to strike. And she takes a minute to be sad about not being able to talk to her father again. Yeah, but that, that's a good moment, the laser targeting. Yeah, it's really good. And let's see, uh, you go back and you talk to Dorafan, and Dorafan is so happy that you've made it, but but Mifa's not with you. Mm -hmm. Did you find her at all? Mm -hmm. And then Link has to tell her, tell him that she's dead. Yeah. No. That is sad. He 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 takes it pretty hard, but he He gets he gets over it. You know, in a reasonable time frame. It's something he's been preparing for for a long time. And, it would have been hard for her to survive. And now he can move on. Yeah. And she's free, and yeah. she's happy, and that's enough. Sidon thanks you, all the Zora cheer. Yeah, there's him. a big celebration that you've saved the Zora people. There isn't really that celebration without anyone else. No, no, your your deeds are mostly unknown for the rest of the game. What the hey-ho? It, the Zora are the only ones who are like, man, you are literally the hero of our people, and you're super hype. And even the old people are like... I kind of still hate your guts, but I respect you now. And I understand your relationship that you have with Mifa and so forth. So, fine. And that's basically the end of the Zora's Domain sequence. Except for one bit. 
now that the rain has stopped, uh, more tourists, well, not tourists, but more travelers are going through again. So you get people like uh, the Goran Traveler. He'll be in the armor shop learning about the different ores that are brought out around Zor's domain. And you'll get that one woman traveler who stands in the middle of the plaza admiring Mifa's statue. Oh, you. And you can talk to her in two different modes about this. When you first talk to her, she says, That statue is beautiful, isn't it? What a pretty girl she must have been. And Link says, Her name is Mifa. And the lady's like, wow, that's a little intense, but okay, sure. And if you come back and talk to her again, she's like, I just can't stop looking at that girl's statue. And Link, once again, says her name was Mifa. And she's like, you don't have to keep telling me. But he does. He just keeps doing it. I thought you were going to talk about the ceremonial sword quest or whatever. No, no, no. We can Gotta come... insert your shipping. It's not even inserting my shipping. It's just in the text. It's just in the text. But, uh, Crystal, would you call this about the end of the Zora's Domain part, or do we want to go into side quests? Uh, I, mean, I mean, what side quests are you thinking? I mean, there's a ton. There's the there's the Zora woman who gets washed down shore. There's the weird, creepy side quest with the guy who uh, wants to date this Zora child. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's the bit where you have to go take a picture of the Lionel. Um, there, there's, a lot of, there's a bunch of shit what going on. What is up on. with that? I don't want to talk about Dating. it. You know what? We're not going to do the side quests in Zora's Domain because I don't want to talk about that one in particular. Well, we can just say, what the fuck? What the fuck to that part? Not a big fan. I mean, I get that the guy's supposed to be like a young teen or whatever, but what the fuck? Ha ha. She's actually much older than him. Ugh. But it oh, it really like is a Xenoblade game. Between that and Pura, it's yeah. like... Shoot this out of a cannon. Yeah. Somebody on that team needs to have their ass beat. Let's go back to the giant women. Back to the giant women. It's funny you say that. I think giant women is where we're headed after Akala. Yeah. Uh, Ceremonial sword quests, I guess. It's not that interesting. It's really not. You get a second spear. We did not mention that after the celebration, Dorfan actually gives gives you Mipha's light scale trident. Which is interesting because it means that she did not have the light scale trident mm-hmm. when she was killed on Varuta. You get it. You sh- you probably will never use it. Some people might. You can get it rebuilt with a weapon that you can just find lying around. And a diamond. And a diamond. You can get a diamond for ten luminous stones. True. It's actually not that big a deal in master mode because you get diamonds just falling out of your pockets. Okay, it's also not that great a spear. <laughs> It's a good spear. Spears just aren't that good as weapons in general. But it's got 70 hits on it. So against enemies that you would want to use spears on, like electric keys, it's actually really good. I'll hang it nicely in my house. It's the first thing that you put up in your house. Um, But you get a second trident. A, A fake trident that's not nearly as good. I feel like this part is just part of a Japanese tradition that I don't quite grasp. As replica weapons? Yes. Oh, because we get the same thing a lot in, like, Final Fantasies where Gilgamesh is always carrying around replica weapons. I guess. Or that, you know, a ceremonial weapon. That stands for the real one. Right. Can be just as remarkable and also it's important, so here you go. Right. Yeah. But why would you need that one if you have the real one? I don't know. This is the trident where they tried to... They tried to honor Mipha by 
what like washing away her trident or right sending it down the river sending it down the river and then she stopped she literally emerged or talked and told them not to i can't believe they actually put that into the game like that her voice sounded and told them not to do so so then they use a replica to enact the ceremony what's up with that i don't know zora it's fine have we hit about a stopping point here crystal well, let me read this comic you have linked. <laughs> the dark clouds of my dreams symbolize the man inside. I'm sure he can't be trusted. Will you look at him? This is portraying the scene in Ocarina of Time where young Zelda is looking through the window at Ganondorf. And the next panel, young Link and young Zelda have smushed their faces against the glass. And Gan is rolling his eyes. I like it a lot because the expressions that have been drawn here are very true to seven to ten year olds that i've known throughout my life <laughs> drawn by pocket seizure yes and yeah ganon just cannot believe these little shits and their subterfuge yeah in quotation marks i think leaving zor's domain is a good stopping point. yay the beefiest zone in the game yeah yeah if not the beefiest then at least the most satisfying the best one yeah yeah why couldn't the other segments be like this? It's hard, I guess. The Switch came out. The Switch did come out. They had to work hard at explaining why the Sheikah Slate is just the tablet for the Wii U, but not... Not a Switch. But not... <laughs> our our eternal hope for the next Zelda game, as ever, one, you can play as a woman, but two, that every part of it is as good as Zora's domain was in Breath of the Wild. And three, it's Skyward Sword of the Wild. No. No, a new thing. Okay, but there's also a remake to Yes, come you can hope for your remake to be Skyward Sword. Yes, sure. But the actual next one, every part as good as Zora's Domain. Because not every part of, Bre- of Skyward Sword is as good as Zora's Domain. Fuck off. Shit, I don't know if any part of Skyward Sword is as good as Zora's Domain. Ah, the shit in the desert's really good. I have to think about that. Sounds like someone needs to replay Skyward Sword. Again? I've played through it three times. How would you feel if Breath of the Wild 2 was a prequel where you just played through the 100 years ago? I'd be kind of disappointed. Yeah. I think Nintendo doesn't do that. I think that if they did that, what I would want is to play as the champions. Oh. You don't want to play as young Link in Zora's Domain? No, Link is, is one of the champions for the purposes of this conversation. Oh, okay. But I want to be able to play as a Hylian champion, uh, Zora, Rito, Gorin, and Gerudo champions. I want it as you've traveled back in time and you're Zelda and it's a tactical RPG. And you're trying to prevent the calamity? Yes. Oh. And it's a tactics game. Okay, so she created the time travel rune and she's trying to make sure that the champions live through it. Yes. Allot your resources carefully. Very fucking carefully. Because there's permadeath yeah. for major story characters. It's too bad time travel doesn't operate by overwrite rules. Otherwise, you could just go back in time and stop Ganon from making the wish. Yeah, yeah. Also, Triforce wishes may not be subject to being affected by time travel at all. It's not clear. Questions? Questions. Where do people send us questions? You can send questions to the podcast email. Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. First question comes in from Tommy Two Hands. Why doesn't Link ever need to take a shit considering all the garbage he eats? 
Hylians don't poop. What? Correct. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that we've reached this. Well, no, there's Trippy toilets. Jing asks, how does Breath of the Wild smell? I like to imagine most of it smells like pretty fresh, but it depends what region you're in. Mm-hmm. Lots of running water, lots of fresh grass. Nice and minty. Oh, you're talking about actual breath. I was talking about the world of Breath of the Wild. Oh, no. Yeah, the world. Yeah. Smells a little minty. A little minty. I like the smell of a fresh video game case. Oh, yes. But Breath of the Wild, especially on the Switch, was not one of the games where you could lick it because it had that very bitter thing applied to it so kids wouldn't eat it. The forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah. Which means that m- many more people have actually licked the cartridge than usual. Yeah. Knowing people. Lambda asks, do you think they'll make some sort of remaster or anniversary re-release in 15 years that removes all the transphobia? No. Uh, I think I think they could do that. They could. They could. That's out of the question. They could do like the they could do like the Yakuza team did and say, you know what, this doesn't really reflect our values, and we're just gonna take that out, and it's not going to be there anymore. They could, but do I think that they will do that? No, no. Fifteen I... years is a long time. Fifteen years is a long time. They could have a change with how they approach their old content. I'm trying to think back to any of the other remakes and just there has nothing been as anything as egregious as the transphobia in this game. But, but there've been fat jokes. Oh a lot. Have those been removed? No. 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 But I mean they haven't really done super remakes of the games that are full of fat jokes. Mm-hmm. It's just that they've made sequels that have the same fucking fat jokes <laughs> in them. So I I don't think I would like to think that they would, and yeah. there's definitely a possibility space for that, but do not spin your hopes on Nintendo having really reflective moments. The thing is, you'd really just need to change some text boxes. You would. Like, it'd be doable. It, 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 one of the worst things about that particular sequence is how easy it would be to fix. I would also just remove the whole, like, strategic wind thing. Yeah, because it's framed as a punchline. Yes. So. Like the. You, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so a. I lot. think it's more than just text. Personally, I mean, I mean as far could, as that fucking goes, I would take out the whole. Wait, you just cut that scene. That whole scene. Yeah. Yeah. Also, possibly Ta-da. the entire thing about needing needing to cross dress as a uh, necessity for getting into Gerudo Town. They keep out everyone else because they're gross boys, but Link seems respectable enough. Come in and buy like, these femme-coated f- clothes. Even that, I think it could be reframed via text box changes. Sure. But yeah, it was the silliest thing that Link, including 100 years ago, had to go under disguise into Grudo Town. And that this was actually a legitimate way for Zelda to like evade him. That's so stupid. There's a lot wrong with that sequence. Yes. You know what you do? What you do? Easy change. Uh-huh. Make Link a girl. That's such an easy change. Yeah. It's such an easy change. It would also be fun to play as Zelda. You wake up and you're Zelda. Just like in all the mods that people are making. Does Zelda need her equivalent of the Desert Vi outfit to go into Gerudo Town? Or did they change the flags for that for her in the mod? I have not checked up with the mod for a while. Uh-oh. Ben asks, who do you ship Link with the most? <laughs> Go ahead. 
It's Zelda all the way down. Now, Crystal, if I remember from the original episode, we may not have had this conversation in the episode itself, but it definitely happened around it. The only ships you have for Breath of the Wild, and you're not a very strong shipper, are Link and Sidon and Urbosa and yourself. Uh, That is correct, yes. (laughs) Well, Sidon is complicated by the fact that Link, his sister is Link's wife-in-law. Hold on. Wife-in-law. (laughs) Wife-in-law. Could you have... Why? They are legally married by Zora Law. <laughs> oh, okay, sure, yeah. So Cam is my husband-in-law. Well, no, because you two are actually in a relationship. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I'm, what I'm saying is that Link, and, Link, and Mifa, Link does not... Oh, I want to take a picture he's of Cam's face to Mifa, right now. But technically, they are legally husband and wife. Crystal, I, I, I really wish I had my phone here to snap a picture to share with you. Link and Mifa had an existing romantic relationship, and I think that one of the best things about Link's characterization in this game is the way that he slowly starts to remember and imagining what he feels after that memory comes back to him, how he moves through the world knowing what he's lost and how his loss is echoed in the people around him is one of the strongest emotional cores of Breath of the Wild. What if Link just broke down crying at Mifa's statue? I think that him insisting that she be referred to by her name is about as close as we can get for that. Guess he's just too tough to cry. Yeah, I don't know. I think that if he did cry, it wouldn't be where people could see him. This is calling back to who he was before. He would need to be off by himself. I've already given context to my, like, tortoises all the way down thing right yeah in a previous episode yeah okay you basically think that these people are always reincarnated and they'll always find each other no no i just mean the joke about the the elephant that holds up the world and it's a held up on the back of a tortoise and it's like what's underneath the tortoise haha smart ass it's tortoises all the way down yeah okay good it's zelda's all the way down zelda's all the way down z-link all the way down yeah jackasses (laughs) Jason asks, can you do a lore deep dive into Spectacle Rock? Spectacle Rock is a recurring location in the Legend of Zelda series that appears in The Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, Zelda 3, Triforce of the Gods, and Zelda 19, Breath of the Wild. It's also in, um, is it in Link Between Worlds? I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's two, like, round plateaus connected by a little plateau bridge that makes them look like a pair of eyeglasses. It's dangerous to get into geography. The Legend of Zelda is found near Death Mountain, as in Zelda 2, as in Zelda 3. But then Zelda 19, it's over near the Gerudo Highlands. That's interesting. I, d- I don't know that there's a lot of lore to get into with it, though. Does it kind of look like boobs? <laughs> I... I mean, yeah, it's two mounds. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Lore! Especially in Breath of the Wild, the deep lore, thank you, Monica, the deep <laughs> lore is that Spectacle Rock kind of looks like a pair of boobs. Right, the breasts of the wild. The, oh. There's my contribution. Th- thank you both. Breasts of the wild. Let's take an email. Yeah, 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 emails. Jasmine writes in, Hi guys, couple of questions. How canon are side games such as Link's crossbow training? And, as I know Z-Link is canon, 
what are the other parts of each link's polyam polycules, e.g. Beatrice, Mipha, Marin, etc.? And obviously, Twilight Princess Zelda is with Midna. Monica looks so confused for a second. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what polycules mean. I didn't know polyam. Polycules refers to like a a web of people that are polyamorously connected. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Okay. I want to reject this question on his face because Z-Link isn't canon reflexively. <laughs> it's not reflexively canon. And the Twilight Princess Twilight Princess in particular, both Midna and Zelda and Midna and Link makes more sense than Link and Zelda. If there is a polyamorous cor- connection there, then fucking Midna is the fulcrum that that shit turns on. Not Link. Fuck. And not Zelda. How, how can in our side games such as Link's crossbow training? I mean, there's no reason it couldn't be canon. I, like, does it have a story? I never played Link's crossbow training. Neither have I. But there's other side games like uh, Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land. Oh, that's that's the most canon. Is it? Zelda's a spinoff of those games as far as oh, I'm concerned. Heavens. Monica, you played through a little bit of one of them, didn't you? Yeah, enough to get the the gist of it. You're you're earning rupees, and interaction with everyone is contingent on you greasing the wheels with rupees and guessing how much you know without going under. Because if it's under, they'll just keep the rupees without giving you anything, right? Without spending too much rupees, because you need the rupees to get to Rupee Land. It seems a very monotonous. And Rupee Land is like lorded over by this evil rupee god right some old rupee guy tells you about rupee land there's also this sexy babe in a bikini okay her name is pinkle oh okay so the canon of the side games i'm going to put that down as variable they're not canon oh if there's no the legend of zelda oh my right that's why candace candence cadence Cadence of Hyrule is not a, 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 the Legend of Zelda title. It's the Cadence of Hyrule featuring the Legend of Zelda, but that's not quite the same thing. Well, I'll play it, though. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, Crystal, do you have any opinions on the potential polycules for Link and the other Zelda titles? I think Link is certainly dating Beatrice and Zelda at the same time. Oh, yeah, but you think that's be- that's because he's yeah, a dirtbag. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that they have had conversations about it. I don't think they have established boundaries. Yeah, I don't think Beatrice or Zelda would appreciate that. Um. Hmm. Hmm. I can't believe you would ship Link with Zelda over Marin with the particular version of the story that we have set up. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, help me with this woman that I live with. Marin's just Zelda. Don't. Marin counts as a Zelda? Marin's her own person, one. And two, Monica has rejected the argument that Marin is a Zelda because it means that Link's not dating the actual Zelda when he leaves Koholint. You can date both. Granted, that is the basis of this question, I guess. I gotta start wrapping my head around it. I'm so locked into my monogamous worldview that it's difficult for me to engage with these questions in a way that's dynamic. (laughs) Date everybody. Who? I just don't think Link Link dates that much. I don't think he's that interested in it. You're thinking that Link's a lot closer to being non-romantic 
altogether. General. Yeah. He's like Greg Universe. Greg Universe had one of the greatest love stories in cartoon history. Yeah, he hasn't dated anyone in like 20, 14 years. He had one love, and that was it. Yeah, one love. That's the kind Just of romance like I like. Okay. In fiction. In real life, move on. I don't know. He's he's happy. Yeah. Yeah, like, Greg, Greg doesn't need a, a partner. He's fine. Yeah, he got everything that he needed out of his relationship with Rose, and he's happy going through his life now, especially with his millions of dollars. <laughs> he doesn't need those millions. Greg is one of the people who makes the argument that money actually does not make you miserable. No, it doesn't. I'd still be willing to test that, though. Yes, I also would be willing <laughs> to sacrifice myself for this scientific endeavor. Don't try to talk me out of it. I've made up my mind. We all appreciate your sacrifice, Crystal. This selflessness will be remembered. Here's $20 million. <laughs> God, can you... F- okay. It's time to get racist. What? Huh? Huh? What? Well, oh, oh, yeah, right? you're rich now. Right. I'm sorry. I we forgot. We were so shocked. For a second, I thought you were going to say, okay, I guess it's time to, and then it would have something to do with the podcast. So when you said it's time to get racist. Time to buy a bunch of candy while it all rots in my home because no one will come over. It's like you want to be sad for the person this describes because they're so plainly miserable, but also they spread misery, so fuck them. Yeah, fuck Notch. That's the official position of the Book of Medora. Fuck Notch. Do you want to read one more email, or or, are you you feeling that? I think that if you want to go through one more email, we can get through one more email. Oh yeah, it's one more email. This is also from Jasmine. Do you have any OC characters in any timeline? This includes headcanons for your personal version of Link. Personally, I have one OC. Flightless Rito trans woman, raised by the Gerudo, dyes her feathers red and brown. One headcanon for an extra city, a city for Gerudo Vo up in the Gerudo Highlands, an inverse of what we see in the game, and a Link's backstory headcanon. Mother is a Gerudo guardswoman, father is a Lorellan village fish trader that did many trips to Zora City, all for Breath of the Wild. Neat. That's all from Jasmine. Uh, Crystal, do you have any OCs? OCs? I guess my OC would be uh, a Shalashaska type character. Uh-huh. She's just she's just writing the new book of Medora. And, you know, my favorite part of Elder Scrolls books... Oh, God. ...is they capture <laughs> uh, some of the sense of, like, academic beef... There's like, this other author is an idiot. Let me tell you what's really up. And that would be what my OC does to Shalashaska. Oh, wow. Yeah. How about you, Monica? Do you have any extant OCs? No. I could probably have um, headcanons for you know, different iterations of Link. Oh, I have yeah, like yeah. a firm image of what Link is, each Link. Yeah, if we count like head cannons for how link is like especially with regards to ocarina of time link then that would probably be right. that would probably register as a positive right i have a very solid sense and i can immediately go no this is not how i define link right. without too much basis in the games right but i i've always been really weird i'd say growing up in that i i would not create an oc character i would just try to write the characters and most of my ships were Rooted in canon. Yeah, rooted in canon. It's weird because most of the time, your canon ships are your favorite ships. 
Like, you're still waiting for them to address the thing where Phoenix is waiting for Iris to get out of jail. Sure, yeah. Although I've given up on that, but... But Legend of Zelda is a little bit different because the canonicity of Z-Link is sort of uh, variable. Like, there's different degrees of it in each of the games. But for for this particular thing, it's like, no, motherfuckers, this is the one. It's a, it's, it's a reading of canonicity. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't think I have any OCs. I think that I'm the one member of the podcast who's been most open about having a background in fan fiction. And uh, if anyone on this podcast was going to have a concrete extant OC, then I would be the one. But generally speaking, no, I don't. Um, every character that I ever needed to fill a particular narrative space was actually drawn from the existing cast of characters like if i needed to make a gerudo character who existed in ocarina of time then i would take a if not named then at least specific gerudo character who existed in ocarina of time and say okay i'm going to flesh this woman out and she'll serve the narrative purpose of that which is similar to an oc but it's still separate from that in my head you mean you would take nabru's second in command yeah, yeah, that's a good for the woman whose uh, tunic changes color depending on what you're wearing. Yeah, her. Yeah, who is I, an actual concrete character? She's an actual concrete character in the setting, and she runs things while Nabooru's out. So yeah, I would definitely use her. I don't see why not. But uh, no, generally speaking, I, I OCs are a great way for people to explore the settings without being necessarily restrained by canon. But when I was doing fanfic, I tried to work within the bounds of canon as much as I could. So yeah, that's my answer to the question. I also tried to do that when I wrote fic. It's been a while. You tired yet, Crystal? Yeah, I'm ready to end the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Woo. That's a pretty full episode, really. Yeah. Uh, Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter. You can find me at Arcane Crystal on Twitter and at patreon.com slash arcane crystal where you can listen to podcasts like this early. And on audioentropy.com you can find other podcasts like MCU Complete Me, Let's Place, Let's Steal a Podcast. It's a podcast after all. That's a new one. It's all about theme park rides. You should give it a shot at audioentropy.com. That sounds fun. That does sound fun, actually. You ready for a Zelda joke? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, hold on. I have the punchline. I need to... (laughs) This is a great... This is a great beginning. This is as auspicious as it gets. What... What do they call the Twin Peaks in the Gerudo Highlands? What? The Breasts of the Wild. (laughs) God damn it. It's funnier because you already made that joke. (laughs) Yeah! Uh, boo. Boo! Boo. It's still funny, though. It's a spectacle because it's boots. Oh, spectacle rock, yeah. Spectacle. Okay, okay. Good night, everybody. Bye.